Welcome to this week's episode of the Thinking Big Podcast. Every day, we get stuck in the same habits and routines, and we go through the motions, but we don't put much thought into why we do what we do. And it's not that we don't want to, it's just that our brains operate in one of two states, survival or executive. The latter is where hidden powers like critical thinking, creativity, and empathy come from. Yet most people spend 70% of their time in survival state due to things like stress, anxiety, and fear, and this limits our growth as individuals and blocks us from unlocking our full potential. What causes us to stay in this survival state? Well, today we're talking with Dr. Eugene Choi about numerous reasons why this happens, and regardless of the cause, it's important to recognize when you're stuck in the state so you can take steps to break out of it. When you start spending less time in the survival state and more time in the executive state, amazing things happen. Dr. Eugene Choi is a transformational mindset coach and a board-certified clinical pharmacist that is on a mission to help talented, heart-driven leaders operate at their highest levels of performance, intelligence, and communication. He firmly believes that by activating the powerful executive brain, it maximizes the results not just in business leaders, but in humanity as a whole. So today, we're thinking bigger on our state. Welcome to the Thinking Big Podcast with Sean Osborne, the show helping you think bigger into your life and potential. Sean believes by equipping you with the tools, strategies, and philosophies required to be successful in all aspects of your life, you can achieve anything you believe in. Empowering our own growth makes a deeply positive and lasting impact on our lives, community, and our world. Now, here's Sean. Thinking big, we have such a special, special guest on today. Uh, and Eugene Choi, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, enlighten us and come on the Thinking Big podcast and to uh, to be with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So now, uh, personally, I've been in, you know, I've been working with neuro, you know, the brain stuff for the last 10 plus years because it was just so fascinating to me. You know, after I had done, you know, some of the stuff that I've done, I, I kept thinking back, you know, how did I do that? How, how does this work? Because where I was and what I did shouldn't happen. You know, people say, how'd you do that? You, that shouldn't happen. And I, and I would think back and say, there's got to be a reason why that happened. And that got me just fascinated into how our brains work, how our minds work and the things that we can actually do with with our minds and it's driven me to change my career as well but it's driven me to uh to do the things that i do now so what you know i'm, I'm always curious as to when people make a pivot in careers when they make a ch an extreme change in their life on what they're doing you know so what made you pivot from you know you were you know as we said you know you were a doctor of pharmacy what made you pivot from that you know reliable <laughs> you know, steady income into doing uh, the, the neuro stuff that you're doing now, the coaching that you're doing now. Yeah, you know, I think we all experience a point in our lives where that gnawing feeling gets so strong inside of you, uh, where no matter how much I worked harder to keep myself distracted, like the sense of dissatisfaction in my day job, um, or no matter how much you numb yourself, right? Like whether it's the drinking, the keeping yourself distracted, the video games, right? The overworking, um, that feeling would just not go away. I think that's the best way to describe it. This feeling of whether it's craving more, craving growth, feeling like this is not all it's meant to be. I had that kind of moment in my life where I strived my whole life because we grew up very poor. 
uh, in the Korean newspaper, there was a, a statistic saying pharmacists were one of the most in-demand jobs and you get a six-figure salary right out of college. Um, so that's why I did it. And then I became a pharmacist after like two, three years of working. Uh, if I was honest with myself, I was just, I was like, I don't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. You know, I, I and that feeling just got so strong. Um, I had to make a change and that's, that's what I did. Uh, and took it from there. And what, what drove you to kind of the, the mind work, the neuro, you know, the, the neuro work that you do, what, what, oh, yeah. why did you choose, choose that? Yeah. That, that's like a whole other rabbit hole because <laughs> so when I actually first quit, it wasn't to do that. It wasn't to do all this performance coaching, this brain coaching that I'm doing now. It's, it was to actually do filmmaking. Um, so I joined these three Asian guys that left behind their careers. Um, and that was inspiring for me because they had more prestigious careers than me. One guy was like a director at the White House. The other guy was like a Wharton grad, right? Bain Financial Consulting. Um, the third guy was a Harvard med student and they wanted to inspire people by making YouTube videos online. Um, but anyway, so decided to join them. I had an opportunity. They invited me to come. So I moved to LA, picked up, all, packed up all our stuff from New York City, moved to LA, had the time of our life, right? Like on that road trip with my wife. Um, just seeing the country and then uh, failed at that. We had multiple viral films, um, <laughs> but we ran out of money because we're all living off our savings, right? Like we got so much exposure. The biggest project I worked on got 23 million views. But what I got from that was marketing experience, right? How do you create a message, communicate, um, storytelling? So that led to me sitting there after, quote unquote, like I put my tail between my legs, went back to pharmacy for a little bit, um, where I had this realization. I was just like, wait, <coughs> Why do we, I didn't, I realized I didn't like filmmaking. What I did love was the storytelling of it. We're inspired by amazing stories. And I'm like, why are we so inspired? Right? That's why as adults, we sit in the dark room and watch a movie for two hours at the theater. Why are we so inspired by that? It's because every main character in a story undergoes a phenomenal transformation, not externally, but internally. And I believe we all crave that. We want to grow, get bigger. So I sat there and went, why does it only have to happen in the movies? How do you make this happen in real life? And that's what started the journey. My healthcare background came in very handy at that point. I'm like, oh, great. I'm reading all this stuff about the brain, how to change things. And I'm able to interpret all of these like medical journals and all that kind of stuff. And I just went down so many rabbit holes. And that's when I had the aha moment. And that's kind of how I went into this. People need to learn this stuff. And it doesn't have to sound complicated. Because a lot of academics use a lot of jargon, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's a simple way to explain yeah. all this. And I got that skill from my filmmaking days. You see what I'm saying? Like everything yeah. came together. And then that's... Everything leads yeah. to everything leads to, to everything we do. And, and you said something that I find happening in a lot of people. It's a recurring theme. And that is you knew that you were meant for more than what you were doing. Or you craved for more than what you were currently doing. Yeah. You went out and did something you loved or you thought you loved, you went out and started doing these new things, these new ventures, but it's, it still went back to building yourself better. You being better it went back to the, I don't know, personal development, the yeah. mind development, the who we are when we, and I, and again, I hear this when I, when I talk to successful people that, that do this is people don't necessarily go out and say, I want to do mindset work. I want to do this. They, they go out and they find out what they love, but they figure that, once they get there, they have to develop themselves in order to get the stuff that they that they thought that they wanted. And I just it was just a theme that when you're talking, it's like I find that and I find that fascinating that we don't realize how much we need to grow ourselves 
and our minds and what we do in order to achieve the things that we want that have nothing to do with mindset they have nothing to do with it but you have to develop that in order to get or to be successful in the things that we're you know that we want to uh, we want to do yeah 100% you know one of the things i used to tell myself a lot is if you want a different life you have to live life differently right like you know, it was Einstein that said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different That's result, me. right? <laughs> and I remember when I went on that road trip, I had no idea what I was doing. But call it what you want, like universe, God, or something felt, I felt something in that moment during a road trip, yeah. one of the long stretches of the road trip, where it felt like something was speaking to me, where it's just like, you know, for the first time in your life, you're giving me something to work with. Because I'm making a different choice this time. You see what I'm saying? Rather than making yeah. the safe choices based on my fear. I was willing to just, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to try it out, right? Like we saved up some money and we're going on the road for two months and then moving to LA to become filmmakers. Um, and that was, the, was one of the biggest lessons I've had in life. And I've never stopped behaving that way ever and, since. And I imagine that was probably one of the hardest lessons that you had to do too. I mean, it, I'm just looking at it from the outside thinking, you know, how hard is it to make a switch from a career to do something you, you, you literally, you yeah. didn't know anything about to move, to do, to make that pivot is such a hard decision to make, but it's also, as you said, probably one of the most important things that you've done yeah. to grow, to change, to, to become, you know, what you're doing and, and who you're now. We have to make those hard decisions. And the amount of growth I had, it's priceless, you know, and, yeah. um, I didn't do it once, I did it twice. I, I, I ended up becoming a supervisor for Los Angeles County after I stopped the filmmaking, <laughs> right? Six major hospitals, 250 plus clinics. I was part of actually part of the uh, IT team uh, as a pharmacist. And I had to quit that. By then I had a second kid. Um, so it's just like, it built upon one to the next, the transitions, right? Um, yeah, I don't know how else to explain it, except like you learn to listen to that feeling more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you just, you just yeah. feel it. And then you, you follow it. And then it hasn't failed me since. That's when like all the crazy stuff started happening in a good way in my life. But it was and, terrifying. Yeah, we, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah, it was no, terrifying. It is. It's terrifying. Yeah. Now, you, now you mentioned you had a second kid now. You, I know you just had a, another yeah, kid. I just had a third. Is, is that number three? That's number three. So he's, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's a newborn. He's an infant. Yeah, he's just a couple of months oh, old right, right now. I, I'm, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that you might have. Most people just don't think ahead when they, when they make these life decisions on having kids, they reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> they have kids. I never thought when I had my kids, I'm like, oh my God, they also have kids. <laughs> That's right. Oh yes. It, it's, it's a never ending. It's never ending. Yeah. Yeah, matter of fact, I have a, our next granddaughter is, will be born, I think in June. So we've got a, oh my gosh. another granddaughter on the way. <laughs> oh well, we, we regress. So one of the things you talk about is you, you explain it as an executive brain. Yeah. Can you explain? Cause here's the thing. So the people that are on here with us right now that are listening right now, explain a little bit about, before we get into that question about what you're doing with your, with your clients, with your, uh, with the people that you coach right now, because what you're doing is I haven't seen too many people coaching the way that you coach mm. and helping the people, the way that you help from that level. So just a quick little background. What what do you mean by executive coaching and what type of coaching are you actually doing right now with your clients? Yeah. So I work with a lot of high performing uh, leaders, entrepreneurs, business owners, um, where at the end of the day, they're, they've come to terms. Uh, they're taking ownership over the fact that 
the thing between their head ears right the brain uh something is not working right because they're constantly stressed they're constantly anxious despite how much they're achieving in their lives and they've achieved quite a bit so a lot of these people have you know multi-million dollar businesses and all that good stuff um where they've come to realize that no matter what they change on the outside, the anxiety is still there, the stress is still there, the anger issues, the frustration, and they're ready to change it. So that's when I come in uh, because the, the most empowering thing is education. It's just to be able to understand why we behave this way. And once they understand that, then they're capable of able, they're able to change these things. Because uh, the bottom line is, you know, there's only two two states that you're ever in. That's what I teach every client and on stage and whenever I speak. Um, your brain operates either in a survival state, and that's what happens when you're in fear, when you're feeling threatened in some way, whether it's physically or emotionally, or it operates in an executive state. So this is where the hidden powers come from. Um, and it's whether it's your critical thinking skills, your problem solving skills, your decision making skills, uh, your creativity, your empathy, your intuition, the list goes on. There's so many things, right, that your brain is capable of doing when it's in the executive state. Problem is the research is showing that executive state is turned off for about 70% of our adult life. So all I'm doing is when I come in, I provide the information, help connect the dots, because um, it goes it, it goes pretty deep, right? There's, there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down within a person's mind, right? And why they behave the way they do. Uh, and we literally rewire the programming in their brain because just like you have a habit, right? You, we have habits, so many habits. You don't go down the stairs going, I need to put my left foot forward, my right foot forward, because it's a habit. You can do it without thinking. What most people don't realize is the same applies to our thoughts. The same applies to our feelings. The same applies to our belief systems. That our brain and body has doesn't, does it, done it so many times that it's gone on autopilot. This is why so many people experience, why is it that no matter how much I try, how much willpower I use? It's because when the programming is the programming, it's just doing what it's programmed to do what it's been conditioned to do and a lot of people don't realize that and that's where the science comes in is it's like you can actually change that if you want it's a skill you can train yourself in now i'm, I'm curious uh do you think nowadays especially since the pandemic so from from a career standpoint from a work standpoint from a stress standpoint we seem to now be connected even more than we were with the pandemic you know so people started working from home but that led us to start working 24 by seven. It's like when we, when people leave offices, they're now connected to their work via Zooms, right. via all these different things. They're connected with, you know, emails, with social media. Do you think that, you know, that state of, you know, the survival state, that stress state is actually going up with the way technology is, is moving now? I mean, to me, it seems like it, it's, it's greater than 70% that we're not using our executive. I agree now. with you. Um, Man, there's there's so many reasons for this, right? Um, the bottom line about survival state is if you don't feel safe, your brain will get triggered to go into that state. And I'm not talking just physically. Like if a tiger's in front of you about to eat you, yes, you feel unsafe. But most people don't realize the reason why your executive brain is turned off because it's only one or the other. You're either in survival or you're in that executive state. So the moment, the only reason your survival state turns on so much is because what most people don't realize is we're also surviving from emotions that we don't like feeling frustration, anxiety, anger, fear. And the brain perceives it as a threat. It feels unsafe um, because there's research that shows emotional pain can be just as painful as physical pain. So we're constantly in stress, frustration, anxiety. You have to ask yourself, how often do you feel these feelings that you don't like feeling? And your brain will get triggered into that survival state. And our environment doesn't help. You're right. 
Think about what you see on the media: school shootings, dramatic politics, right? The pandemic, of course. All of these things help don't help you feel safe. Or whether it's your culture, maybe you had high expectations from people in your life that pressured you to be a certain way, act a certain way. Whether it's society, friends, family,、um, and with technology, you know, I was just having this conversation the other day because you know my kids are in their toddler years now, right? But When I was in high school, I remember if you do something stupid, maybe the room laughs at you, and then they may maybe talk about it a little more. But then it blows over. You see what I'm saying? Like, cause it, it, you just move on. But nowadays, I know when my kids are going to be in high school, you're going into an environment that feels extremely unsafe. What does that mean? If you do something stupid, you never know. Someone might pick up their phone, start recording you live on the internet, and God forbid that goes viral. And that's traumatizing, and this causes a hypersensitivity, where we go into hyper survival, and it prevents us from being able to access our emotional regulation skills. And if you're conditioned that way, then it makes sense why you hear these really sad stories where the girlfriend broke up with the boyfriend, and he was so heartbroken he committed suicide. Like the suicide rates are going up in our teenagers. It makes sense why that's the case because the environment they're in is triggering that much more survival, if that makes sense. So、right. this is so important to understand, and that's why I've been shouting it from the rooftops. That's why it's been so worth it for me to leave behind that high-paying career and all that good stuff to,、um, to do this full time. Yeah, and so on, on the on the executive state, how you explain the executive state to me, we can't move forward as a human. We can't grow. We can't、uh, get any better than we are today. If we're not in that executive state, if we're not in that imagination state, to me, we, we, the way that you explain it, it's like all I am today is all I will ever be if I don't get in that executive state. So, what does the you know, what does that executive state look like? I mean, how do I know if I'm in this executive state and doing you know in that area? Yeah, whenever you've had a breakthrough moment in your life, an aha moment. Right, or whether it's you have a feeling of deep connection with someone you love, that's an executive state. Right, when you're curious, when you're growing, a flow state is when you're in an executive state. Right, it's when you turn the volume down in your brain to just be really, really present, and you're very productive in that moment.、Um, it's it, the list goes on. That's how you know that you're in this executive state.、Um, a lot of people describe it as flow. Right, where you just kind of lose track of everything. You're just so present, and you're just really, really killing it, right? And and being productive. Now, one of the things that I wanted to, I wanted to get your, I don't know, your opinion on it, or your, you know, what you think about it, is not only like limiting beliefs, but also like the imposter syndrome. Because I know for me, even after. I had done many great things. You know, I had started a company. I had done some very good things in life and 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 grown a lot, but I still felt like that stupid kid.、Mm. I still felt like that person that didn't believe it. I still felt like an imposter. What What is your thoughts on? I don't know that imposter syndrome or you know that that limiting beliefs. How do you look at that from from your standpoint of coaching? Yeah, so I, I have to walk through a little bit of a rabbit hole for this, if that's okay. Oh,、right. that's. Let's、okay. go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, so the first thing we need to understand, because、um, you're bringing up a really important thing, because that's the bottom line. We carry these beliefs about ourselves, and it's on autopilot. That's why you feel it. Sometimes it just kicks in the imposter syndrome, right?、Um, and I have that too. And the thing to think about: number one is we need to be able to just be aware of what's happening, 
we just need to make sense of a couple of things, okay? So the first thing I always have to make sense of for people uh, to help connect the dots is, look, whenever you feel threatened in some way, your brain in a survival state will only know how to do one of three things, fight, flight, or freeze. Very obvious in the wild, if you're about to get attacked by a wild animal, uh, you'll either pick up a weapon to try to defend yourself, you'll run for your life in flight, or you play dead and freeze because you're so paralyzed in fear. Um, the part that most people don't pay attention to is there's still the fact that at least 70% of our adult life, we're still in survival, but I don't see anyone running away from saber-toothed tigers. Why are we still in this state of survival? It's because of emotional survival. But we, need the, we still do the fight-flight-freeze response every single day, and most of the time on autopilot. We're just not aware of it. What does fight look like? It looks like things like the need to be right. Overworking, right? Working hard to try to accomplish something, to prove yourself, the need to prove yourself. Uh, perfectionism is a fight response. People-pleasing is a fight response, right? The fight to get validated, the fight to be acknowledged, the fight to be loved. And most people don't realize they're doing this on autopilot. One story I always share about this is, you know, I had a client that was in his 60s, very successful career, built a multi-million dollar business, had the beautiful home, and he's going, why am I still like unhappy? Why am I still anxious? And I talk about the fight response. He realized, oh my God, my whole life, I've been fighting so hard to accomplish more to try to prove to people that I'm better than my older brother. And his older brother was an NFL football player. And his high school coach, he was sharing a memory with me. His high school coach literally said to him something like, don't bother trying, you're never going to be as good as him. So you see how reactively you can fight. But then it, it begs the question, what are you fighting for? It comes down to a limiting belief you care about yourself. Oh, if I don't yeah. accomplish more, I'm a loser. I'm not good enough. <laughs> and what that also prevents you from doing when you're in fight mode, by the way, it always leads to burnout, always leads to lack of fulfillment. Always, 100% of the time. Because what you realize is when you finally put your head up, and instead of you know fighting all the time, you realize, how did I get here? This is not where I wanted to be. I climbed the wrong mountain. I accomplished a lot, but I climbed the wrong mountain. And, and what most people don't realize is when you're in this fight mode, your brain develops tunnel vision. Survival state, you're in tunnel vision. If a tiger walks into your room, are you going to look anywhere else except where that tiger is? So you're missing out on all this other information that's out there. You develop that tunnel vision. And that's where a lot of leaders and business owners make mistakes because they're not looking at the whole picture because they're in survival, right? The information you need, the opportunity or the solution that's always been there. And it prevents you from working smarter, if that makes sense. So you end up working yeah. harder, not smarter. So that's why the fight response yeah. screws a lot of people over because it feels like you're being productive. The world rewards fighters when you're working 80 hours a week, right? People will give you money. Um, but then it always leads to burnout and lack of fulfillment. And most people wear it like a badge of honor. And then by the time it's too late, like you're in your 60s or 70s, you finally realize, oh, this isn't where I want it to be. So I stress that part a lot because I realized that was a big one that a lot of my clients and my audience, like didn't realize they were in. Um, flight response is when we procrastinate. That's a classic one. Or when you literally run away from people, right? You might see an ex that you didn't get along with in the street and you run away. Uh, that's a literal flight mechanism. Um, but where it gets more subtle is when you start numbing yourself. So some people like to binge watch Netflix. Some people like to eat a tub of ice cream. You overindulge in things like alcohol, sex, drugs. The list goes on to the point of addiction. Uh, and Sometimes all at once. Sometimes too. all at once. It's to numb the feeling you don't like feeling. You're, that's how you're surviving from it. And I have to say, there's no judgment around any of this. This is all about just being aware of yourself. Because the moment you start judging yourself, you're in survival again, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so um, it's just good to be aware of this in yourself and in other people. That's some, the first thing I always bring awareness to 
with every person I talk to because it's kind of like this feeling of getting out of the matrix. Like, oh my God, I see the fight response here, the flight response there. And freeze is what it sounds like you freeze. Uh, it's when you are paralyzed in fear. Um, it's, it's, it looks like inaction, right? You're so overwhelmed, you're not making a decision. Um, where it gets more serious is when it's trauma, right? You're paralyzed in fear. You disassociate from the current moment and freeze. Um, so this is all important things to be aware of because now you're bringing up something like imposter syndrome. So what are we actually surviving from? We're surviving from not just an experience you had in your life, but the meaning you're giving the experience. So what does that mean? Throughout our life, we're having experiences, okay? And this usually happens in childhood, right? Which is why a lot of people might need to find a good therapist, right? Um, or a good coach too, honestly. Um, it usually happens in childhood. We have all of these experiences in our lives and we attach meanings to the experience, right? So at z when you're born, you have 100 billion brain cells in that tiny little brain, but only 20 billion synaptic connections between the brain cells. So this is why as babies, we don't know how to do much, right? We don't know how to talk. We don't know how to walk. But by the time you're seven years old, now you have the same 100 billion brain cells, those neurons, but you have a quadrillion connections between those brain cells. That's 15 zeros just to like help visualize it, right? The number. But what's happened between those seven years is you're rapidly recording information. While you're rapidly recording factual information, like this is the color blue, this is the color green, what we have to pay attention to is we also record meanings we're giving to the information. We, our brains are meaning-making machines. If I say to you, Hey, Sean, every morning I fill a cup of dirt and I eat it, <laughs> right? Your brain's going to sit there and go, why is he doing that? You're going to try to make meaning of it. <laughs> um, so as kids, we're doing that a lot. So for example, if you get bit by a dog at four years old, you might think all dogs are dangerous. But this is where our limiting beliefs tend to come from. Oh, I watch mom and dad struggle with money, so money must be hard to make. Or I watch them struggle in their relationships, so relationships must be hard. And you start forming that meaning. And the moment you form that meaning, now you're developing a survival mechanism. And you have to pay attention to the meaning you're giving about yourself. Relationships are hard. Oh, mom and dad were never around, so I'm not, I don't matter. So how will I matter? How do I survive from not mattering? Because I, I, this scares me. I'm going to fight. I'm going to try to accomplish more. And I think it's important that we understand that we can have that memory, we can have that object, and we can change the meaning to that object, to that Correct. memory. We can actually change, and that's, and I know that's what what you know some of the stuff that you that you teach. Yeah. I think that's just so important that we can, you know, we have the ability to to change uh, to change that. Hundred percent. I mean, uh, neuroscience has proved that your brain can change till your dying breath. That that saying, like old people are set in their ways, the only reason people stay that way is because they actually believe that's true, right? But the science proves yeah. that it can change till it's every your dying breath. It's called neuroplasticity. So anyway, so there's we have to be able to examine what that most people have trouble even getting here what they believe about themselves, right? <laughs> right? It's 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 usually your something about your worth. Uh, something about, right? Like, I don't matter. I'm not good enough. I'm stupid, right? All of that kind of stuff. But where people, so that's a, that's a huge step in itself to be able to get awareness around that. So I spend a lot of time with clients just getting them there. But now it's to change the programming. Because remember, you're fighting so many times, it becomes on autopilot. This is why people who are overworkers, right? And they wear it like a badge of honor. You go to a vacation and you can't stop thinking about work. 
your brain has and bo body has done it so many times it's so good at doing it without you having to tell it to do it it's the program right so now when you're understanding what this belief you carry about yourself is you're bringing something up like imposter syndrome this was the game changer for me i'll break it down a little bit like i'm like dropping everything like in like a span <laughs> of like 10 20 minutes um and i'm hoping it makes sense so feel free to dig in a little bit right because this is where it got deep for me, where it went beyond like, look, like I'm so sick of like the hurrah motivational speaker type, like, and you feel all inspired and you go home and when your programming kicks in because you're in the same environment, nothing changes, right? Yep. So this was what I realized was game changing for me. You have to think about what your feelings are, the purpose of feelings. The purpose of your feelings, guess what? It's for memory purposes. Every feeling you feel is a feeling you felt in the past. You're remembering a feeling. It's not a new feeling. You're remembering a feeling. That's what's happening. The reason for this is think about it. When you have a higher emotional intensity at a certain moment in your life, don't you remember more details, right? Your first heartbreak, yeah. your first date, your first public speech. You might remember certain words that were said, the colors of the clothes you wore. Uh, you remember more details versus the more mundane moments in your life or the more routine moments in your life. You don't remember the details as much. There's a protection mechanism for There's a protection reason for that, right? It's so that it's what kept us alive all this time. If you remember how hot the stove is, because you remember how that felt, you're going to stop touching the stove when it's on. So then if that's the case, what really changed the game for me was, wait, hold on. Every time I'm feeling a feeling, then I'm not feeling it because what's happening right now. I'm feeling it because it's reminding me of something I've felt in the past. One practical way I like to explain this is when I would get angry with my daughter when she's not listening to me, I thought I was getting angry because she wasn't listening to me, but it's not because there might be some other parent out there with the same scenario, but they don't get angry. The only reason I'm getting angry is because of my programming. And I realized, whoa, it's because I have a sensitivity about being perceived as a bad father because my father left our family when I was a teenager and I held a lot of resentment towards that. I used to think very angry thoughts. If I'm ever a dad, I'm never gonna be a crappy dad like him. So the moment my daughter's not listening, my brain's going, hey, look, she's not listening to you. Doesn't that mean you're a bad dad? Quick, survive. One of the ways to survive is to fight. And I yell and I get angry, which anger, by the way, is always secondary to fear. If you see someone angry, it's because they're afraid, they're in pain. Think about a, a lion with its cubs. When you approach the cubs, it's afraid. So it's going to resort to anger to get you to back off. So, and what, what broke my heart is when you're angry, your empathy's turned off. So now in that moment, I'm disconnecting with my daughter. When the very thing I want to do is be deeply connected with her. So that's what, what really motivated me to like really go deep into this work. So anyway, we need to understand what the meaning that we're giving those experiences are. And then when it comes back to that limiting belief, the feeling is something you're feeling from the past. So then I started personifying this. That's what really helped. Think about this. Um, I, I know uh, on audio, we can't see this, but like if you imagine my fists moving through the screen and this is represents who you are right now, you're moving because you're always moving through time. Okay. And at some moment in time, you're going to have an experience and you attach a meaning to that experience. Okay. So maybe at seven years old, uh, I was at home alone all the time, cooking dinner for myself, learning how to make instant noodles. My mom taught me how to make instant noodles and I had to make it because they were always out working late. But as a little kid, it's just like, I want to be with mom and dad. Why aren't they with me? So I attach a meaning. They're probably not with me because I don't matter. I attach the meaning. Okay. 
And they're usually false meanings, limiting beliefs. I don't matter. So the moment you create that meaning, you've imagine you've split into two people. Your current self is moving through time and your past self, this younger version of you, is stuck in time. And just like you can put a song on repeat, guess what? That kid is reliving the pain of the experience over and over and over and over again. That's what a memory is. Now, let me ask you this when you when you talk about that, because that really resonates and, inter- and interests me. So we have these things that happen, like you like you said, well, it mean this is the meaning. But we also on the other side, we have positive things that happen like, oh, that shows they do love me. Oh, they they Correct. spoke with me. Why I always struggle with why do we always fall back or all default to it seems to be the negative one. In other words, if, if I look back or if you look back when you were at that age, you probably have you probably had some positive things showing oh, that they love you. Yeah. But then why do we associate or why do we default back to that because I, I see it. Yeah. The default back to that negative when one. When you're in survival, you develop narrow focus. You're in tunnel vision. You're not able to, you're literally not able to see all that other information. So you created that meaning and then there's confirmation bias, right? There's something called your reticular activating system that filters out information for you to, so then the moment you go, I don't matter, I'm not loved by my parents, what's your brain doing? It's going, okay, I'll listen to you. I'm not biased. I'll just do whatever the intention is. And now I will only show you information that reinforces, right? It's confirmation bias. I'll only show you information on why you're not loved. And we literally create a reality for ourselves that's not real. And one way I like to share with people that your reality is usually not real, by the way, is haven't you, your brain's very easily fooled into what it thinks is real. Have you, haven't you ever been in a dream and you thought it was real when you're in it? Yeah. So we need to be able to become aware of that. So that was the thing I realized. It's just like, wait, hold on. I personify this. I'm looking at like a seven-year-old version of myself reliving the pain of an experience over and over again. That kid never learned what I learned to this day. You see what I'm saying? Because I moved through time. I grew. But that kid was stuck there in my mind, in my brain as a memory, stored as a memory. So now I'm actually feeling empathy and compassion. Because you know what imposter syndrome is? Or any other feeling when you're stressed, frustrated, anxious? Because if it's a record of your past, you know what it is? I viewed it now as like, oh, it's that little kid that doesn't know how to regulate. It's that little kid that doesn't know any better, that's stuck in that false reality that's causing him pain. He's asking me for help. But I never took the time to help him. You know what I kept doing to that kid? Fight, flight, freeze. I was surviving from the feeling that I didn't like feeling. I would tell that kid so many times, you know, I'm so busy with work. Stop bothering me right now. You're so annoying. I need to work harder to get rid of you. But why do you keep coming back? That's the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Oh, I'd rather go get drunk right now. Stop bothering me. Or we freeze, right? Put the walls up. No, I don't hear you. Get away from me. The disconnect is the disconnect we have within ourselves, where there's these multiple versions of ourselves. That's what we're surviving from. And it comes to the question of, that's what's really happening. It's a past self trying to communicate something with you. And it's actually trying to help you not hurt you. So remember, emotional pain can feel as just as painful as physical pain. That's why the brain thinks it's a threat. So you know what's happening in our minds all the time. It's kind of like, you ever see those horror movies where there's like a false scare scene? You know, the music's getting intense, the bushes are rustling. But if you just stay long enough and keep watching, out pops the cute little bunny and you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. You see what I'm saying? 
Yeah. That's what's happening inside of us too. Is whenever we start feeling this discomfort, distress, this, this imposter syndrome, the music's getting intense in your mind, the bushes are rustling. But before we look at what actually pops out, which will, usually will be some l- younger version of you, we're already running. We're already fight, flight, freezing. You see what I'm saying? We're working harder to try to get rid of it. We're running away yeah. from it, not looking at it. But if we're able to sit with our feelings longer, then you'll become aware. Oh. This was a kid from however many years ago, and I've been surviving from that kid. And this is where I think it's so important to change the perspective of what a feeling is, because this is the way I like to explain it. Because if you want to get rid of imposter syndrome, it's because of the battle you have within yourself. There's a version of you you don't like. There's a version of you that you actually don't accept. You don't accept yourself the way you are to some degree. You feel like you need to become better to be quote unquote worthy, but who measures what worthy means, right? Based on what metric, it's not even real. So anyway, that was the thing that was game changing for me is like shifting the perspective. And the way I explain it is, look, do you know your heart beats over a hundred thousand times per day for you? And it's pumping that blood through over 60,000 miles of blood vessels. That's enough to go around the world two times over. You're breathing 2 million liters of air. That's what your lungs are doing for you every single day. And within seconds, it's transporting that oxygen into every cell in your body. And one of the questions I usually ask is, are you figuring any of that stuff out? Are you figuring out how to make your heart beat every single time, your lungs breathe every single breath? Or is your body figuring it out on its own? Because if you let your body do its job, because when you're in stress, that's when you're overworking it, right? Think about the tigers in front of you about to eat you. Your heart's going to work harder, right? It's beating faster. Your lungs are working harder. And it's damaging to your body in the long term. It's not meant, survival state is not meant for the long term. So if you get yourself out of survival and you let your body do what it's supposed to do, it's going to naturally move towards something called homeostasis. It's going to move towards balance and healing. It's going to help you recover, recuperate. It's called the rest and digest state, right? When you're in that executive state. So then I think people would agree with me, wouldn't you? Like, if you let your body do its thing, it's going to move towards balance. So what I realized was, wait, hold on. If you let your body do its thing, it's going to naturally just figure itself out and move towards balance for you. What if what your feelings are is it's your mind's way of trying to help your mind move back towards balance? Because what's going on is it's your mind going, hey, pay attention to this. You need to sit with it and process it. And, the, and get through it so that you can grow if you truly want to grow. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Hell yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. But you can trust that it's there to help you, not hurt you. It's just because it feels uncomfortable, the brain thinks it is going to hurt you, but it's not. And that's what's shifted my whole perspective on feelings. Because the moment you personify it, you actually have a little bit more of empathy and compassion for yourself. You don't view yourself yeah. as a loser. Now, how much do you think, so if, I, I think as, you know, as a country, at least here in the U.S., to me, our health is going down. Our, and I, I actually associate that with that survival mode. I think when we're in survival mode, that it affects our immune system. It affects all these different things. I think yeah. that actually ties into to the health issues. You're literally we, correct. Think about what's happening in your body. When your body, what, when you're in survival, your body is actually thinking it's about to die. It's going all hands on deck. We need to survive. So your heart's going to beat faster. Your heart's overworking. Your lungs are breathing faster. It's overworking. Your digestive glands slow down. Your digestive system slows down because it's not a time to be eating food right? <laughs> when you're about to die. Um, and then you have, you have cortisol pumping through your system, 
right? Ask any physician, medical professional out there, what does long-term exposure to steroids do to your body? It damages your immune system, right? You have adrenaline pumping through your blood, which is very addictive, by the way. That's why people are addicted to the rush, right? Um, you have adrenaline pumping through your system, which is why you lack quality sleep. If you have adrenaline pumping through your blood, it's like having a ton of caffeine in your body at night. Your body can't rest and you wake up feeling tired even though you slept eight hours or whatever. So it's extremely damaging for the body and it throws it off. And we're, the crazy part is we can stay in that survival just from our thought alone, right? You think about something yep. happy, you feel happy. Everyone's had this experience, right? You think about something sad, you feel sad, even though nothing has changed around you. Just from your thought alone you can get your body to change and enter into a state of survival. Even if you've, even if that uh, sad or negative thing that you're thinking is completely and a hundred percent made up that never even happened. Correct. It's, it's still correct. It still your does. Your body that. actually changes as well, just from your thought alone. And I think the biggest thing to understand, whether it's in leadership or a business owner or, or just growth in general, when you're in survival, you can't create anything. Yeah. You're just busy reacting things without yep. thinking so you, you think about it like if tigers in front of you about to eat you're not going to sit there going oh i'm feeling creative today and inspired right <laughs> what new way you cannot change you can't change yeah. in survival you're just being the same old self over and over again on autopilot and it's just so interesting you know so tie this up a little bit you know you you talk about these two states but those two states literally affect every single part of our life it's not just a financial thing or a or a, a leadership thing for coaching it's not it's relationships it's our health it's everything is is tied back to these two these two states oh my gosh you know i i think i would have been divorced like five years ago if i didn't understand this um <laughs> you know that's one of the biggest breakthroughs I've had just in life, you know, um, this leader was asked this very cliche question about relationships. How do I find the perfect one? Right? How do I find the perfect partner for me? As if there's such a thing as this one person in this world, you can hold hundred percent responsible for your happiness, right? It's not real. It's a survival state question. It's your brain going, Hey, I feel unworthy or I feel insecure about something. How can I find someone outside of me that I can hold responsible for my happiness so that at least if I feel unhappy, I have someone to blame because I don't want to take ownership over this feeling. So the leader uh, uh, responded because under he understood that this was coming from survival anyway. And he just asked a powerful <coughs> question, which was, would you go out with yourself? And I remember that hit me like a ton of bricks for two big reasons. Number one, I became immediately aware my answer was no, right? That imposter syndrome I had, the, right? Like the I don't matter belief I had. So I actually didn't like myself. And number two, you know what was the bigger breakthrough was, wait, I can tell my wife I love her and I do all these nice things for her because I love her. But if I don't have a healthy relationship with myself where I, I love and accept myself for where I'm at, those things I'm doing for her, I'm not doing it for her. I'm doing it for me. You see what I'm saying? If I believe I yeah. don't matter, you know what the brain does in a fight mode? Quick, do these nice things for your wife so maybe one day you will matter. You can't connect with other people when you're in survival. It becomes transactional relationships. And I think a lot of relationships get transactional. That's, and that's why a lot of divorces happen too, right? Yeah. And until we understand that you truly accept yourself and care about yourself enough to invest in your own growth and your own awareness, nothing's going to change. You can't connect with other people. <laughs> and I know like love is such a powerful 
language, right, in, in a lot of religions. And that's why I say, I'm like, you know, people quote scripture. I'm like, you know, there's a whole second half to that verse, love your neighbor. Why does everyone like to talk about love your neighbor? You know, there's a second half to that. It's love as you love yourself. You can't love other people unless you love yourself. Like it was always there. So anyway, um, that was the thing. It's just like, you want to achieve self-mastery? This is what knowing yourself, know thyself means. It's like, you need to know yourself at a programmatic level as well. Like, what is your programming? What are your beliefs you carry that you're probably not even aware of? Because if you're in survival, you're never going to change. I promise you. And that's where mistakes get made because your tunnel vision goes on, right? You say things you regret. You can't see the opportunities and solutions that were always there because you're in tunnel vision. This is why a lot of leaders make some big mistakes and you go, how did you miss that? It makes sense. Oh, he was probably in survival, right? He or she was probably in survival. And, you know, so one of the ways that, or some of the stuff that, that I coach is how to tap into, you know, the power of our mind, the power yes. of ourself. I think we're, I think everybody in this world is capable of unbelievable, uh, magical things. I think everybody has that in them. And I, and I think just tapping into that. And I think that our minds are how you do that. You know, if you change the programming, you, know, you talked about, you know, habits and your programs, if you change those things, you can change your entire life just by changing, you know, your mind and, and how you do things. And you have one of the resources up there is how to activate your brain's hidden powers. Mm. And I think that's what it is. Once we learn what our hidden powers are. And once we learn how we can actually get into, you know, some of the stuff you teach is getting into that executive state, getting in, you know, getting out of that survival state and how you do that. So you have that thing, you know, how to activate your, uh, your brain's hidden powers. And I want everybody that's listening right now, if you're listening, it's at uh, destinyhacks.co. Uh, or it'll be in the show notes. You know, if you're driving now, don't. <laughs> yes, please don't. <laughs> don't try pulling up. It'll be in the show notes. Tell us a little bit about that, uh, about that training, because I think it is so, so important that people are, have access to this to at least start. To me, it's at least people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And if you don't even know these things exist, you can never use them. You can never utilize them. So tell a little bit about that. Yeah, the goal here is you're just kind of like the things I touched upon. Uh, I continue to take that deeper. There's a lot of information that you can digest around all of the stuff to be able to develop these skills for yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I give a free training. Uh, we talk about the survival state, executive state. We talk about the fight, flight, freeze response. Uh, and then the programming. Uh, this is that's the name of the game is the bottom line of my work is we develop the skills to reprogram these parts of ourselves because you have to think what if you've been programmed to think negatively what if you've been programmed to feel stressed on autopilot what if you've been programmed to feel frustrated on autopilot and angry um, this is why you have that experience of like why does it keep happening no matter how much i try it's because your programming is on um, so that's the name of the game, and I continue to take that deeper. And yeah, um, resources will come if you sign up. Uh, I'll be sending you emails with more information and all that good stuff, right? Resources, tips. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I remember, God, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half ago, we met up in, God, what was it, Nashville? Yeah. And you had talked about uh, an aura ring. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so it's like, oh, this is how you can test all these things. Yes. And, and I'm a techie. It's like, that's right. Huh. So I went out and got an aura ring. And I'm just telling you some of the stuff that, that you teach and, and that, you, that you take people through can really be just life changing stuff that yeah. uh, that you teach. So, uh, again, thank you so much, Eugene, for coming on the Thinking Big podcast and to be here with us today. And oh, I can't wait for people to go up and, and take a look at your stuff because it, it really is. It is a. Uh, uh, unbelievable work and I actually have friends that that are coached by you that I hear on the backside that hey 
<laughs> you, you, I guess I know. So, yeah, I knew I had to get you on the on the podcast. But thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast. <laughs>